challenges. You know, even at LinkedIn when I joined, it wasn't a big company, right? We had 100 people. Um, we had uh, about 10 million members at the time. Now we're approaching 700 million. We had uh, revenue that was about 15 million. Now we're approaching 8 billion, right? So it's a massive transformation, massive growth and scale. You know, it's it's different at different phases. And I think one of the learnings I've had in terms of organization uh, is to be successful, you need to be able to scale through that. Having a good idea doesn't get stuff. And if we'd hit those, there would have been an explosion. We would have died, obviously. Scholarship should cultivate the virtues. Worry more about, am I searching for what I should be doing next in the world? Hey everyone, welcome to the Voices of Santa Clara podcast. I'm your host, Gavin Cosgrave, and I'm excited to bring you this conversation today with LinkedIn CFO Steve Sordello. Uh, Steve is the CFO of LinkedIn and also serves on Santa Clara's board of trustees. So that's his connection to Santa Clara. He got an MBA from Santa Clara um, in the early 90s. Prior to LinkedIn, Steve was the CFO of TiVo, the CFO of Ask Jeeves, and held senior management roles at Adobe and Syntex, which is now part of Roche. In this conversation, we discuss lessons Steve learned from his various CFO roles, differences between small and large companies, how LinkedIn is mapping the global economy, how Steve balances short-term shareholder obligations with longer-term social impact, and what career advice Steve would give to college students. I had a lot of fun with this conversation. It was fun to visit the LinkedIn headquarters uh, for the chat as well before the pandemic hit, and I think you'll really enjoy it. So thanks for listening, and I'll see you soon. Steve Sordello, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So to start out, what were your career plans in college? The interesting thing about it is I didn't really have career plans when I was in college. You know, I, I was one of these uh, kids when I was growing up. My parents, uh, you know, they didn't go to college. My, my father didn't even finish high school. He had to work in, in the ranch and orchard. And so my experience growing up, uh, you know, I didn't really like even think about college. Um, and I was more focused on things like sports and, and I worked in orchard. I didn't have a lot of experience from thinking through a career. And so when I graduated high school, I was like, oh, I got to go to college now, I guess. And and so when I entered college, I didn't have any idea what I wanted to do. And um, it was kind of a learning experience for me. And I ended up, you know, quite frankly, falling into business because that's what my brother had did. And um and I ended up, while I was at Santa Clara, really discovering um, that he was accounting. I went to accounting. I didn't really like it, but I liked business. I liked management. I liked the business case approach. I liked economics. And that started to steer me towards a direction. But I didn't like say, okay, this is what I want to be or anything. And um, so that's kind of rare because normally I have goals. But at that point in my life, I really didn't have any. And I was kind of just navigating and, and kind of navigating towards things I had interest in. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's where I was then. Unfortunately, I ended up getting a, a job within kind of the finance space exiting Santa Clara. Uh, and then from there, you know, different paths from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you, you were the CFO of a couple of companies before coming to LinkedIn. And I, I'm wondering, like, what what skills did you learn earlier in your career? Or what, what allowed you to kind of quickly 
move up the ranks into those leadership positions? And kind of what did you learn along that that journey of you know getting more and more ownership? A lot in the early days of what, how I was transforming in my career was due to just hard work. Like I, I, I put a lot of effort, passion, work. I took on a lot of different projects. And kind of as I think about uh, different stages of my career, um, you know, there's kind of this concept of, you know, you have IQ, which is intelligence, mm-hmm. um, and then you have EQ, which is your ability to kind of interact and relate. Uh, and then I, I also think you have AQ, which is kind of this adaptability, mm-hmm. a capability. And I think for me, um, less on the IQ side, I'm not saying I'm not smart, but, uh, you know, I think where what has helped me over the years um, has been more in my position in particular uh, which is one where I think there's um, a lot of skill needed in in kind of listening and understanding needs and problem solving and getting people to align towards objectives. Um, that those latter two are actually more important, EQ and particularly AQ. Mm-hmm. And so I've been in various environments over my career that have been at different challenging points, um, having to adapt at different times to different needs and, and helping steer organizations in different ways. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's what um, overall, as I look back, that's been the most important characteristic of mine, um, relatively. Uh, but yeah, I've been in, in several different companies, uh, different stages of growth, mm-hmm. uh, different roles. When I became CFO, I was at a relatively young age for uh, being thrown into that position. And that was a tremendous learning experience for me. Um, so, so yeah, that's just high level. Uh, as I think looking back, I think a lot of it is just how to how to effectively work with people and solve problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and you were at TiVo and Ask, right? And those two companies were smaller at that point in time, definitely than LinkedIn, yeah. right? And so, what are maybe some of the differences with like a a smaller company as opposed to a a much bigger company? And did you prefer kind of one or the other? So I think at its heart, um, you know, these types of uh, situations, they're they're just different. You know, for example, when you're when you're at a smaller company, a lot of um, the things that folks will do will be more generalized. You'll have people who wear many hats. uh, They'll play many roles. Uh, As your company grows, uh, the importance of scaling um, becomes more and more, uh, more and more critical. Mm and so, but a lot of the challenges are fundamentally the same, right? You're you're basically trying to uh, define an opportunity uh, based on addressable markets, competitive landscape, mm-hmm. uh, and then set up the company to execute towards that. Mm-hmm. And so, I think the, the biggest difference is being able to uh, scale the organization mm-hmm. uh, as it continues to grow. And so, for 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 my looking back at my career uh, at various stages, you know, even at LinkedIn when I joined. It wasn't a big company, right? We had 100 people. Um, we had uh, about 10 million members at the time. Now we're approaching 700 million. We had uh, revenue that was about 15 million. Now we're approaching 8 billion, right? So it's a massive transformation, massive growth and scale. You know, it's it's different at different phases. And I think one of the learnings I've had in terms of organization uh, is to be successful, you need to be able to scale through that. And for example, um, Many of the early folks here are were very strong in a smaller environment. Mm-hmm. Um, they were the type of people that thrived um, and were really good in that environment. But then once you reach a certain stage, mm-hmm. it's not as good as fit. And so making that transformation 
um, being able to do that multiple times mm-hmm. um, was a learning experience for me, uh, you know, because I started off very much as a doer mm-hmm. type of person. And that's how I succeeded by just working hard doing. You reach, this, you reach a, a point where you have to learn mm-hmm. to delegate, to lead in a different way. Mm-hmm. And so just different from those perspectives, right? Different type of environment, different type of people. Um, but fundamentally, a lot of same problem solving mm-hmm. um, activities go on. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious about, were there any times in your career, either at LinkedIn or before that, that were really like difficult or challenging or that you kind of considered like failures or lessons that you learned out of, out of that? If I had to pick one, so I left Adobe. Uh, I was at Adobe System for a period of time. Great transformative experience for me. Got to work on really great projects. I went to a dot-com, mm-hmm. asked Jeeves at the time, and this was 1999. Mm-hmm. It was crazy, crazy time. And I joined uh, two weeks before they went public. Mm-hmm. And I got there, and it really was clear they didn't have any infrastructure really put in place, didn't have any sort of reporting, planning. Mm-hmm. And I, I quickly discovered that they, they were going to miss their first quarter out. They didn't even know it. And so, but yet the company kept doing this. Mm-hmm. I wasn't in the CFO at the time. And the challenging part came when it all kind of imploded mm-hmm. and with the dot-com crash. And I was put in a position at the time we were, there was a exiting CFO um, we had a controller that wanted the job. I was trying to help her get the job. And uh, a board member came off the board to run the company, and he asked me to do it. And that was probably the most difficult, challenging period I went through because I was thrown into being a CFO. I was like 30 years old um, into an environment where organizationally, I, I, I didn't have the experience of running broad teams outside of my functional area in finance. Our stock had gone from 192 down to a buck. Mm-hmm. Um, our market cap was 30 million, even though we had 80 million in the bank. So this was a situation where a new CFO comes in, having to let people go, having to divest businesses, mm-hmm. having to deal with angry shareholders, mm-hmm. um, and navigating through that was just a Looking back, it was tough, but it was like a tremendous experience to go through in terms of getting um, getting a lot of experience as a CFO in a relatively short period of time dealing with many, many different issues. We had to buy companies. We had to buy technology. To uh, There were a lot of challenges. I think that was the toughest period mm-hmm. of time. Just just given the the the, the business challenge, the, the organizational challenges, the execution challenges, um, and that was just a tremendous learning experience mm-hmm. for me to have having to go through that and deal with all those different challenges. Uh, that was probably the most difficult. Yeah, but there's been many. There's been many. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, how how do you like build trust or deal with people who are maybe you know putting a lot of pressure on you or they're just just unhappy with like the the performance of the company and like how do you like you mentioned the EQ versus IQ thing before, right? But like, yeah. what are those those leadership skills that can allow you to deal with those really difficult like circumstances? Well, I think, I think at the end of the day, um, as much as you can get alignment, um, on what you're trying to solve is, is, it's just fundamental. And so, uh, you know, for someone in my position, no matter what the situation is, if you're able to, sometimes it's reactive in a down market or there's some external factor that, uh, you have to react to. Um, other times, it's actually not as 
difficult in many ways, but in other ways, it's hard when you have a lot of opportunity in front of you and there's many different things you can do. Um, and you get a lot of pressures from people wanting to do everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, so it's a lot of it's around like what's really most important and being able to help define that mm-hmm. uh, and get people to agree that, for example, this this is we need to put 100 percent behind this effort, mm-hmm. not five percent behind 20 different things and align on that and get people to agree. Uh, and that's not always easy, but I think that's uh, that's the biggest challenge in these areas. Once you have that, you have that, then you have people going in the right direction and working together. Um, there's a lot of infrastructure and systemic things to make it happen over at scale. But I think that's fundamentally the biggest thing is just getting alignment on what's most important um, and focusing on on that. Yeah, and and now you've been at LinkedIn for over twelve years through this huge period of of growth. Like, what is it about the company that's uh, made you want to stay so long through this whole journey? Yeah, um, so it's a great company. Like fundamentally, I mean, there's always any company, right? There's always you know challenges here or there, uh, but it always comes down to me to uh, the company itself, its culture. It's you know, LinkedIn has a very purposeful cultural culture, um, mission, uh, you know, I think in terms of actually seeing impact on what we're doing broadly, uh, is, is a really impactful thing. I think obviously the people at the company are a big reason. Uh, it becomes like my family's maybe too strong a word, but you know, you these co-works that you have that really care you're passionate about working with. Um, and then, and the last thing is just simply impact in and of itself, mm-hmm. right? Being at a place where you still feel like you're having some impact mm-hmm. um, into the organization and, and because of LinkedIn as a platform more broadly. Mm-hmm. And um, that's why, you know, I'm still here, right? It's, it's those three reasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I'd love to touch a little more on the, the mission and impact of LinkedIn that you, you brought up. So I wrote down that LinkedIn's mission is to create economic opportunity for every member of the global workforce. So like, what is that, what kind of future does that look like moving forward that that the company is aspiring toward? You know, given the platform that we have, I think one way to describe it um, is we have this concept uh, of what's called the economic graph. I think you're aware of like social graphs and professional graphs. Um, Economic graph is if you take a look at our platform, it's basically the digital representation of the global economy. So we want to have Every member of the global workforce, I said we're approaching 700 million today. We want to have every company. We want to have every job. We want to have every higher education, whether it's Santa Clara or community college um, uh, type of organizations. We want to have every skill. We have over 40,000 unique skills on LinkedIn today. We have a learning platform. Uh, and then we want to have this ecosystem of knowledge sharing, people sharing information to be better at their jobs. And when you start to fill in all of these nodes, they're all interconnected in a very powerful way. There's the flow of information, which starts to enable, you know, being able to see where are the jobs, mm-hmm. where are the jobs, what skills are needed for those jobs, what skills should we be teaching people for, and the flow and interconnectivity of all these nodes uh, removes friction mm-hmm. from whether it's the flow of capital for financial working or human capital, and. Removing that friction is a very powerful way in terms of lifting economic prosperity for for people globally. 
And that's at the core of what we're trying to do um, is having LinkedIn be a platform that allows people to improve their lives by through through their career, basically, through improving the economics of their individual situation um, in a way that um, the platform compounds in a very uh, powerful way. And so for today, for example, we have even governments looking at leveraging our learning platform to try to teach skills to their workers. You know, obviously we have uh, a lot of relationships with um, economists and such that they can see very quickly where where skills are needed, what types Mm -hmm. of skills, what jobs are needed. Um, Those types of things, removing the friction so that people more readily can Mm -hmm. take advantage of, of that. And that could lift GDP, right? Mm -hmm. Which has very positive implications. So that's it at its core. Mm -hmm. Um, We're also focused on, you know, there's challenges with networks in general. One of the things that we recently recognized is the power of networks, right? Most people get their jobs through networks, which means that's a great thing. But if you're not part of a network, it actually creates more of a challenge, right? If this is a concept called the network gap, right? Where there's some people that aren't connected in these networks and it makes it even harder for them. Mm -hmm. And so we're trying to even, you know, start to address those types of challenges, which are kind of uh, different than how networks work. And so trying to create behaviors that bring people in Mm -hmm. to networks. So, uh, so overall, you know, we fundamentally believe that LinkedIn, you know, in this day and age of, um, you know, tech clash and a lot of uh, challenges uh, with with technology uh, that it could be a very powerful differentiator um, in, in a very positive way. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it is, but even more so down the road. Yeah. And there's there's a lot of maybe fear about the future. You know, people see artificial intelligence is taking yeah. jobs or, you know, people in uh, developing countries with like climate change and other things are going to have difficulty, um, you know, having uh, meaningful careers. So does do those like effects worry you in, in the future? And can LinkedIn be any part of the solution there? Yeah, it, it definitely does. I mean, it's always it's we've gone through various analysis in this area and it's it's always really hard to know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think if you go back historically, there have been many times in history where there's been these transformative events and there's been like a very quick migration of, of types of skills and jobs needed. Uh, I think it, it's accelerating with artificial intelligence mm-hmm. and it's very hard to predict the speed of that, how that curve looks um, relative to past uh kind of transitions. Uh, but yeah, definitely. I think LinkedIn as a platform, uh, for all the reasons that, that I mentioned in terms of, um, highlighting, uh, where skills are, what skills are needed. Um, it it could be a a massive, uh, help in, in that transition. You know, I do think there, there are challenges that these technology companies are going to continue to have to address, whether it's, um, fake news or, or video or uh, challenges like that. Um, but there's a lot of positive, too, that mm-hmm. can be delivered through platforms like LinkedIn. And LinkedIn, for the most part, relative to uh, some of the other technology companies, um, you know, it's a challenge. Any network is a challenge because you have user behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the benefits that LinkedIn has had is its focus on professional Um, for the most part, you know, when people show up on LinkedIn, they're representing themselves in a professional way. So Mm -hmm. you just naturally tend to have less of vitriol and, um, kind of what we call unprofessional behavior. doesn't mean it doesn't happen. Um, 
And we're also a company that is very, we've always been members first oriented. We know that uh, members, not being members first is existential for us. And so that means trust is important. Mm-hmm. Um, and trust is important from many ways uh, in terms of dealing with activity on these networks and how do we deal with it. And so, you know, we, we have this concept of the three C's. We want to be uh, clear in terms of what members see on the site and what they can do. We want um, to be consistent. We want to be changing mm-hmm. uh, uh, the user agreements on the fly and we want to give them control. Mm-hmm. And we want to, we've been dealing a lot with trying to, how do you systemically flag things mm-hmm. um, uh, through AI and other mechanisms and how do you deal with them in, in a fair way when they do happen. Mm-hmm. And so there's, there's, a, there's a, a lot of focus on trust as a foundational priority uh, for us as a company because it's 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 so meaningful it's meaningful from our success it's a huge differentiator for us competitively um and uh uh it's just critical going forward to, to solve some of the challenges that that you just mentioned mm-hmm. yeah and, and you've kind of hinted at this with the word tech lash right and we've all seen what, what's happened to facebook in the last couple years right but i guess to me it seems like linkedin has largely kind of avoided those that that criticism maybe of major tech platforms, but like you were saying, there's still the same you know like user behavior yeah. and and data security yeah. challenges, right? So how is LinkedIn responding to that increased skepticism among uh, social media companies generally? Yeah, I think um, broadly speaking, uh, you know, there's a lot of challenges uh, in in. In, in terms of activity that's happening today, I think there's also a lot of good generally, right? In terms of, I think, you know, 10, 15 years ago, when a lot of these networks launched, uh, most people didn't see these unintended consequences, right? They, they saw a lot of just a lot of good created, like, for, you know, freedom of information flow and, you know, democracy would flourish and all these types of things. And I think what we've learned over time is sometimes there's unintended consequences of, of, of things that people don't foresee. As I mentioned for LinkedIn, I think historically our focus on professional has helped us. Um, I think our focus on members first um, and the seriousness around that has helped us to to a stage where today we are, um, I I don't think we've been caught up as much. Um, We've been ranked the most trusted uh, network for the last three years in a row. Um, And I think that's been due to just our our fundamental focus on continuing to build trust. Um, It's 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 a rigor that we have to keep top of mind all the time. Um, And I think the other company which we're part of is Microsoft as well has Mm -hmm. has been a leader in a number of the areas trying to address some of these challenges Mm -hmm. um, on a proactive basis. So, so yeah, we want to, we want to stay in that position and we, we intend to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now that, that Microsoft does own LinkedIn and uh, it's a, you know, Microsoft is a public company. So how do you balance like short-term making shareholders happy versus like long-term creating the type of impact that, you know, might require greater investments that don't, that, you know, don't lead to immediate stock performance. How do you kind of balance those two things? How do we balance it today or just in general? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, how do you think about it from your your CFO p- perspective? Like, kind of the, the shareholder versus, like, long-term social impact or just, yeah, yeah those two sides. Um, well, I think this question in general, there's, there's a lot of questions around growth versus profit and how do you think about short-term versus long-term. And I think, uh, you know, broadly, if you're thinking about it, uh, holistically, a lot of it depends on the environment you're in, right? Sometimes you're in an environment where the short term is the long term, 
um, in, in, a, in, a, in a type of company and you're dealing with things in a certain way for, for LinkedIn today, um, you know, I think uh, what we try to focus on uh, is what, what I would call is intelligent growth. And uh, because a company like LinkedIn, whether we were public or as a part of Microsoft, one of the great outcomes of where we sit today, um, particularly relatively versus maybe 10 years ago, mm-hmm. is our biggest risk as a company um, is, is more execution risk at this mm-hmm. point. Um, you know, there's always competitive challenges and things of that nature. But um, I think we're in a position where given the opportunities we have, which are many, uh, our biggest risk is not taking advantage of those in the right way. And so um, as I think about how do you optimize a company short-term, long-term uh, in this environment, it's it's making sure you're focusing on the things that really move the needle mm-hmm. and you're not being defocused by all the things that you could be doing. And a lot of times what happens in companies, uh, particularly when they're in a very fast growth stages, um, is that they will start to... Uh, you know, focus on these shiny objects and start to try to do a lot of different things and they lose track of their core. Um, and my boss, Jeff, has has this um, analogy of, uh, you know, when you think about a rocket, right, just going off very fast. Um, if when you launch, you're, you're off by inches, by the time it gets to orbit, you could be off by miles. And so this idea of really focusing on the core and what matters. Mm-hmm. Um, and my concept of that is, uh, as you're thinking about long-term growth, um, is think about intelligent growth and and really what is sustainable growth over time, mm-hmm. and uh, tr- trying to get that balance right because sometimes uh, when you think about the investment side, less is more, mm-hmm. and you're focused on the things that move the needle the most as opposed to many many different things, uh, and we try to make that trade off and and we try to obviously have a model that we scale into over time that is based on benchmarks and objectives and so that we're. Uh, thinking about long-term growth that way. But uh, to me, you know, growth versus profit, kind of a lot of ways they're one and the same. Mm-hmm. It's just how you, how you approach it, how do you think about it, and how do you think about relative to the opportunity in front of you um, and, and balancing it. So it's not an easy question to answer with one answer because it's all relative mm-hmm. to the opportunity and uh, the focus against those opportunities. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd love to briefly touch on your uh, involvement on the board of Santa Clara, too. So kind of why did you choose to get involved with Santa Clara? Yeah, I was um, I was honored, actually, to to be asked to be part of the board. Um, I uh, love Santa Clara. I love, uh, you know, their mission. I love what they stand for. Um, I, I, you know, the, the whole approach that they take in terms of the philosophy towards education, um, the people uh, are, are some of the kindest, nicest, um, most passionate people uh, I deal with, um, um, on the board. And, you know, I work at LinkedIn with a lot of great people, so it's a, it's a high bar. And, uh, yeah, I, I just think there's so much potential for Santa Clara. I, I, you look at what a great university is, um, and you know, there's, it's like the best kept secret in the Valley in a lot of ways, and it has so much potential, um, to uh, uh, to continue to grow in the right ways and be be more of a national presence and, and beyond, and uh, yeah, it's just a great university. So I'm I'm honored to be part of the board, and uh, again, I love love working with the the team there. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you, if you had to give a piece of career advice to uh, college students at, at any point, whether it's earlier on in your college career or uh, or late, later on when um, to maybe graduating seniors, like what what career advice would you give college students? Yeah, I, I probably and I didn't have this when I was there. And I, I have a daughter who's junior in high school now. Mm-hmm. This idea of perspective and, and, and a growth mindset. Maybe it comes back to like even the goals question in the, in the beginning, and a lot of people don't know exactly where they're when they enter college, right? You don't know always know what you want to do. Um, and for me, uh, earlier in my education and life, a lot of stuff was rote. Like I just learned, learned, worked hard, learned, 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 and it took a while for me to to kind of take a step back and approach things uh, with a mindset of I'm going to learn and. Uh, whatever it is I'm doing, um, I could be interacting uh, with someone and listening to what they're saying and having that perspective that I'm, it's a growth opportunity for me. It's not just me telling them something. And it's that broadly mm-hmm. in terms of whatever you you endeavor to do. It's, it's, it's almost like a mindset thing as opposed to have these goals or, you know, mm-hmm. outline five things you want to do. Mm-hmm. Because I think at the end of the day, if you have that right perspective, it'll come, whichever it is, uh, directionally, whichever way the person wants to go. Um, so that's that's it. And you know, when I look back on my early years, is what I tell my daughter. I I want her, I want her to have just perspective on when you look 20, 30 years from now. A lot of things will, that seem really important and critical, um, especially in the stage of of uh, networks and people commenting about you or something. It's all small. And to have perspective as much as best you can. I know in the moment it's hard, but that combination of perspective and, and growth mindset is what I would encourage people to just try to have. I know it's hard. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's hard for me today too, but it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's what I would encourage. Yeah. And there's, there's a few questions I like to ask guests towards the end of the conversation. So first, um, what in your career up to this point are you most proud of? I mean, there's many different aspects of it. I, so maybe this comes back to the goals too. I, I have not been a person who uh, along my career has said, I want to get to there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I never intended to be a CFO. Mm-hmm. I, uh, along the way I would characterize my kind of movement along the spectrum as a, as a pull versus push model. Mm-hmm. I mean, I knew, I knew what I was interested in and I would jump into things and try to help but in in virtually all cases, it was someone pulling me into a role saying, "Would you do this?" And that makes me proud in a way that there was this kind of uh, looking back. I'm, you know, it's it, it, it's been people wanting me to do something as opposed to me forcing. Um, I think the teams that I've had and seeing what they've done, uh, I'm very proud of. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, I've been through many iterations of scale. Uh, one of the challenges, um, you know, when you join a company that's as small as LinkedIn was, and you're still here today, one of the challenges I had along the way, which was a, a definite growth opportunity for me, was when you're going along that journey, realizing that not everybody can make all those transitions. Mm-hmm. And one of the, the big mistakes I made was it's this concept of keeping pitchers in the game too long, right? Mm-hmm. You, you, you keep thinking, 
oh yeah, they 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 can do it, they can do it, and you're you, they're friends of yours at that point. Mm-hmm. And being able to navigate through those cycles in ways that was healthy for everybody all the way along. Like I had different teams at different times here. Um, and seeing all of them grow in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and some now of them are CFOs of other companies and, you know, yeah. CAOs of different companies. Um, it's just very gratifying and seeing the strength of the team here today uh, that has taken their place. So um, so that's, that's definitely high on the list. Um, yeah, those are, I mean, those are, I think, the two that I would be... Uh, most proud of and again just being parts of companies that are successful and um, being part of that yeah yeah are there any favorite places in the world that you've traveled to i like italy yeah (laughs) so i mean i I, brought there actually yeah so uh you know i i i don't travel a lot a lot i like i I like seeing different things Mm -hmm. but for me uh maybe because i'm italian you know going back and seeing italy and different places in italy is uh i just really enjoyed that Mm -hmm. um yeah, if you could send a message to every person in the United States, what would you want to say? I think today the challenge is there's so much polarization. And if everybody could, could and again, it's not the easiest thing in the world, but take have that perspective of, of um, taking a step back and the growth mindset concept of listening and trying to, trying to have a perspective that I'm actually going to be a better person, even if I disagree, by listening to something. Um uh, I think that would have a huge impact in today's world in terms of just like a lot of different uh, challenges that we're facing, some brought by different technologies and information flow and, um, you know, and uh, other reasons. But that, I think that would have a huge, uh, if everybody could do that, you know, just listen more. And um, uh, I think that would be the message. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and finally, what does your ideal Saturday look like? You know, honestly, right now it's, it's just relaxing in a way. I've been working so hard for some of my life, but most of the weekends were, were work in especially my early career. And I, I've reached a stage where I, my mindset has uh, kind of altered and um, in terms of being able to appreciate things a little more. But, um, you know, it's literally like taking my daughter to a Santa Clara basketball game, mm-hmm. that type of stuff. And, uh, um, you yeah. know, yeah. That type of thing at this point. There's nothing big. It's just kind of like just enjoying the moment more than anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for doing this conversation. I appreciate it. Yeah. No Thank you. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts and now on Spotify so that you don't miss an episode. Check out the website at VoicesOfSantaClara.com for some shortened transcripts. And you can like the Facebook page and follow on Twitter. I'll see you next time. Thank you.